Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of Cavalier Cast, The Civil War in Words, a podcast that looks at anything and everything to do with the Wars of the Three Kingdoms. This is the second episode in our April content, with another two episodes due after this. Today, I'll be speaking to Simon Marsh of the Battlefields Trust about an exciting new project aimed at logging all Civil War monuments and memorials across the world. Simon also touches on his role as Battlefield Threat Coordinator and the risks these historic sites face today. After this, Warwick Luth and I discuss some individual monuments. There's also some discussion with both Simon and Warwick about the rivalry that existed between Parliamentarian Generals, the Earl of Essex and Sir William Waller. Just before we begin, I'd like to give a warm welcome to new listeners and thank everyone for tuning in. So 67% of you are from the UK and 18% from the United States. But there is a wide base of listeners, including those of you amongst many other countries in Costa Rica, Switzerland, Israel and Malta. Hello to those of you in Melbourne, Victoria, which ranks fourth in the list of cities. If any of you have any ideas for future episodes or feedback, please do drop me a line. So welcome to Simon Marsh of the Battlefields Trust. Thanks, Mark. It's good, good to, really good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Ah, you, you're very welcome. Yeah, great, great to hear about this project. Very exciting one. So, so first of all, Simon, so how long have you been involved with the Battlefields Trust now? So um, I joined the Battlefields Trust back in 1992, as it was just forming, um, and, and I went to the National Army. I was visiting the National Army Museum. I was living in London at the time. And there was a leaflet in the National Army Museum, which was advertising the Battlefields Trust. And I picked it up and I, I joined the Trust at that, that point. And I think, I think I'm a member of 141 or something like that. So. Wow. I was going to say, you, you must be one of the first uh, members then, mustn't you, at that point, 1992? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you're the Battlefield Research and Threats Coordinator, aren't you, as well as Joint Chair of Mercia Region? That's right. Yes. Yes. Um, so the um, research and threats coordinator does, I guess, two things. One, uh, which is about responding to planning applications on battlefields and doing sort of lots of other things, you know, talking to partner organisations and, and, and the like about threats to battlefields and how we can try and mitigate those. And then I guess the research part of it is trying to coordinate the research that the Battlefields Trust does across battlefields, including archaeological research as well. Yeah, so I mean that that's a I bet that's a really wide range of different sites, periods. Just been doing quite a lot of work on a number of different battlefields. Um last year we we sort of finished the Mortimer's Cross project, which was a, a battle fought in the um Wars of the Roses, uh, trying to find the battlefield, but unfortunately the project ended without us having found it. But we found out a lot more information about the uh, landscape of the, the battlefield, at the you know how it would look, have looked at the time of the battle. Um, uh, uh, and we've done some work at Barnet as well, again, not being able to find the, the, the battle there, which is in the Wars of the Roses battle. There's a bit of a theme here with Wars of the Roses battles, I think. But uh, I've also worked sort of quite closely on Stone on the Wall, which is obviously a Civil War battlefield, probably registered in, well, it is registered in the wrong place, I, I think we think. Um, and we've, we've done archaeological work there. And I think we found the battlefield now sort of much closer mm. in, into Stowe. So yeah, there's, there's, you know, lots, lots, lots going on really as far as that's concerned. 
Um, and, the, and then obviously threat and have to keep your finger on the pulse, I bet. Yeah, so the, I think last year we responded, the trust responded to about 32 planning applications on registered battlefields, which are at 47 in, in, in England. Uh, so, you know, that's more than one a fortnight. Um, wow, yeah. And so it's, you know, it's, again, there's plenty, plenty going on in that sort of space. We need people to think about how they're going about development on battlefields and try and mitigate that as far as possible and, uh, and, and ensure that it, it, if the planning application is going to go ahead and it's, you know, it's a reasonable thing to do, uh, then ensure that the archaeology is, is addressed within that planning application as well. And that, you know, so, so the planning, so the, the development doesn't destroy the archaeology that's there. Okay, great. Thanks, Simon. So we're going to, going to be talking um, about the, the project that you're working on, about the Civil War Memorial. So before we touch on that, do you have a particular interest in the Civil War? Yeah, the Civil War is my thing. Um, and it has been since I was at school, really. I was about 11 or 12, something like that. And I I was, you know, just gripped with the Civil War. I, I, I mean, I'd say as I've got older, I've kind of slightly expanded my interest. Uh, so I, I, I do uh, quite enjoy thinking about reading, researching about the Thirty Years' War as well, which I know is not a huge, a huge leap as far as that's concerned. Yeah. But I do, I do sort of go slightly beyond uh, the uh, the Civil War. My, yeah. my wife, uh, I'm obsessed. I, I just say I've got an interest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I get that uh, accusation as well. <laughs> well, well. When I, 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 my wife will say, "Oh, I think we think I think we should go on holiday here in somewhere in the UK or whatever." And I say, "Oh, yes, that'd be really good." And she she then gets this suspicious look on her face. <laughs> Why? What's there? Yeah. She, you, she always she always says to people, you, "You're never far from the Civil War with Simon." So. <laughs> But, but actually, you know, actually you're not really very far from a Civil War site, kind of wherever you go, really, are you? You know, you always end up finding one, sometimes unwittingly as well. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And which is, yeah, hopefully what the, the Civil War Memorial Project is going to help people to do. So Exactly. Okay, so that leads on really well. So this is a really exciting project um, about the British Civil War Memorial. So what's the aim of the Memorial Project? So we're trying to record all all memorials, and by memorials we mean sort of memorials, but also monuments and information boards and gravestones, uh, funerary monuments, stained glass windows, um, you know, anything that either interprets or marks um, an event or a key person or a soldier who fought in the civil wars between 1639 and 1660. This is really it's going to mark for posterity all of these creative markers that have originated as a result of this criminally overlooked period in history it is it, it, it is overlooked but but actually the more we've done on the memorial project it's, it's fascinating to see how many memorials there are out there or little plaques or or, or whatever it is and, mm. and all these sort of local communities have kind of found something out about their 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 local experience of the civil war and they've put a little uh, a little plaque uh-huh. up made you know for example I, I think in uh in Farringdon one of the the, the pubs there you know it, it's got a little plaque that sort of says royalist cavalry were, were billeted here in 1643 to 1644 or something like that can't remember the exact wording but mm-hmm. you know just just at that level then somebody's bothered to go and find that out and then put a little sign 
on the uh, on you know next to the door of this this pub in in, in Farringdon, which is you know it's yeah. quite no, it's Abingdon. Sorry, Abingdon, not Farringdon. Yeah. It's Abingdon. Yeah, I, I mean, you'll have lots of plaques saying Cromwell slept here. <laughs> yeah, well, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nearly every every house is uh, Cromwell slept at, isn't it? So, what do we did any fighting? He was just sleeping in uh, various houses and inns, sleeping everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other interesting thing there is you mentioned sort of uh, gravestones and things. So, you know, you're talking about monuments to to the ordinary. Um, you know, soldier as well, isn't it? Which is another nice aspect of this. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, obviously, a lot of the funerary monuments are to, to officers or you know, quite senior commanders. But there are, you know, a scattering uh, of ones for you know, um, common soldiers or, or sort of more junior officers as well. Um, and yeah. and they are, you know, they are quite um, rare, really. Sort of particularly in churchyards, finding them. Finding a, a memorial stone to a, to a to a soldier, and and I think part of that is because most soldiers who were killed on, on the battlefield anyway uh, are sort of buried in a mass grave somewhere rather yeah. than in a churchyard. So that's that's probably why we have so few uh, surviving sort of gravestones for the soldiers from this period. Also, it's right at the start of when sort of grave gravestones are being being used to commemorate sort of people who have been buried in in, in graveyards. Obviously, um, a long period of time has, has, has passed since they were, were buried there and stones are, you know, damaged or lost or, you know, yeah. all, all the lettering's faded or or whatever. So you, you're losing out because of weathering and things like that as well. Okay. And how did the project come about? You know, how, how did, uh, did, you, did you come up with the idea? And... Uh, well, uh, yes and no, I guess. So I, I I'm on, I'm on Twitter uh, and I saw somebody tweeting about oh is, is there a database somewhere about some, with Civil War memorials uh, and I knew that the Pike and Shot Society had sort of started a project around this collecting information so I sort of said oh well I think the Pike and Shot Society have done something about this and um, Stevie Borat who's the chair of the Pike and Shot Society he sort of said oh well you know we started it but he didn't get very far so I sort of said well why don't we sort of see whether we can do this as a collaborative project with you know a coalition of the willing if you like all the people who were all the organizations that were willing to be involved uh, and try and get this off the ground um, so I, I kind of agreed to you know chair the meetings or, or, or whatever um, yeah. and we got we we reached out to a number of different organizations and and you know we started talking about how we were going to do this and you know work through some of the issues and and, and obviously eventually got the the website and, and we're up and running as it were excellent yeah that's great and which organizations um are, are, are taking part so obviously the Biden shot society um yeah. but also uh the national civil war center and uh, sealed knots the cromwell association uh, the John Hamden Society, the Scottish Battlefields Trust, and the Fortress Study Group as well. So right. there's, there's seven partner organisations and then the Battlefields Trust as well. So, so we did go through um, a bit of a, uh, an initial phase where we were just asking people, members of, of organisations, to, to make some contributions, really in order mm. to to create a critical mass before of, of memorials on the database before we went live. Because you know it's, yeah. it's one thing to sort of create a database and, and only have three things on it, 
uh, and rather than 162, I think that we've got at the at, at the moment. And I think if people can see there's 160 there, then you know we're serious about it, and it's worth looking at already. And I think that was the issue that we were we, we were kind of grappling with to some extent. Yeah, I mean that's it, isn't it? Because one thing is loading it, but actually it's going to gain interest by people just simply having a look to see, you know, what's what is there already? Is there any in my area? Anything that you know that I'm not aware of? You know, curiosity. Well, and, and hopefully they'll they'll sort of go. Well, they haven't got this one here down the road from me. I'll, I'll need to do something about that. Yeah, and, and submit and submit that memorial to us. And and you know there is a submission form on the on the website uh and you know they can send a first graph in as well and we'll we'll process it and upload it and it, it'll be there on the database and, and and the more people that do that the the richer the resource will be mm. so so anybody who is uh going on holiday and happens to detour past a civil war site and takes a photograph you know we've all been there <laughs> we can we can deposit that earlier simon you know you were saying about what constitutes a memorial um, and, and I was going to ask you sort of whether you had a wild guess on how many are out there. I imagine there's thousands, to be honest. I think we've only just scratched, started scratching the surface, really. I know of memorials that are out there that we haven't yet put on the database yet. So, right. you know, but I, I suspect there's there's so many more that we're just not aware of at the moment. Those little plaques on the on the on the, the doors of pubs or whatever that sort of said some, something once happened here you know we just don't know about and and obviously as well multiple um monuments to the same person as well or, or battle isn't it you know there could be yeah, in different Crom- locations as well of the country yeah cromwell crops up a lot um <laughs> yeah king charles does as well you know so uh but you know there's people like wenceslas holler i think there's a couple at least a couple for, for wenceslas holler so um right yeah people people are appearing more than more than once and, and places like naseby for example so there's an interpretive trail around uh naseby with lots of information boards uh and i saw two today that i didn't even know existed so um, oh, right. so i'll be adding those to the database quite quite shortly but it's not as if there's just one place you can go to in at naseby and, and and find some information about the battle the the obvious question. So you mentioned there about the the Battlefields Trust website where um, people can go and submit. Battlefieldstrust all one word dot com. Right. Uh, and right in the top right hand corner, there's a on the top menu. There's Battlefield Resources, and you, you click on there. There's a drop down that says BCW Memorials, and if you go into BCW Memorials, then you can um, sort of both search the site. There's interactive mapping there. Yeah. Um, but it's also a link to to an online form, and you can that's securely held. Uh, you can go into that and and submit a, a memorial. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, I encourage people to do that. Yeah, and and fairly straightforward. So it asks sort of what type of memorial is it? Um, give it a title, record any descriptions. You can, as you see, you can add or you can send separately an, an image of it, approximate dates. You know, so those sort of details as much information and, as and the inscription as well. Yeah, it has an inscription. So. Condition as well. Um, yeah. it's in. And, and, and we'd like the geo coordinates. Yeah, and, I, and I, I will point out that 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 was very straightforward because I, at first when I saw that I thought, well, I'm not very good with coordinates. How do I get these? But the link that's on the site takes you to a website that gives you all of the coordinates you need, doesn't it? So very straightforward. Yeah. And and you know we'll 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 take the grid reference, we'll take the Latin long, 
or we'll take the what three words. You know, we're not bothered. We're not proud. We can we can work with any of them. So. Um, and as far as monu- uh, monuments and memorials go for the Civil War, so do you have any any particular favourite, or, or do you think there's any that's very much overlooked? Um, well, we, I mean, for the overlooked ones, I, I mean, we've just touched, we've touched on soldiers' gravestones, and I think they are sort of largely over overlooked. Um, as far as favourites go, um, I do quite like the Master Moore uh, Memorial that the Cromwell Association put up in, I think, 1939. Uh, the Buffalo's yeah. Trust and the Cromwell Association recently redone the the information board there, uh, but the, I, I know it's just a nice monument where it's positioned on the battlefield, and I've, I've kind of visited it different times of the day, and you know particularly as you know as the sun's going down, it's a yeah. it's quite a beautiful and, and evocative place, uh, and with the memorial there, it just I don't know, it just I, I just I just really like it as a as a as a memorial and, and, and as a location as well. Yeah, no, you're right. There is something about it. It's really kind of like slap bang in the middle, isn't it, of the two positions as well? Yes, yeah. Um, you, yeah, it's a very easy battlefield to read, Master Moore, because it, it is largely unchanged. Uh, whereas, you know, you look at some of the battlefields and you, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult to, to unpick it and, and actually imagine what it would, would have been like at the time of the battle. I've got this question here, and perhaps it was more for the start. Um, but can you tell listeners a little bit more about the Battlefield Trust in, in general? So we mentioned there about battlefield threats and sort of your role, but the Trust itself. So, so the Trust is a sort of national charity. Uh, it was set up in 1992 um, and it works to uh, preserve, research and present um, battlefields as historical and educational resources. So you have talked a lot about the preservation sort of element. But I guess the, the and a little bit about the research as well. But I guess the, the presentation bit is, you know, how how do you convey the value of battlefield heritage to the public? Doing that through information boards to some extent, leaflets perhaps, podcasts. I guess is yeah. the way that you know you could do it as well. But you know, we've we've done a bit a bit around poetry as well, and you know, he's he's really trying to think of innovative ways to make people realize we do walks and talks obviously uh to make to make people realize you know battlefields are quite important heritage resources and i always say that battlefields are are a local issue you know because you you get very few people who have a general interest in battlefields but actually when you go to you run a local a walk on a local battlefield and you get local people coming to that um, you know, they, they they might not be interested in battlefields generally, but they are really interested in their local battlefield. And I think that's really important as well, because it's it's a, me- it's a means of protecting the battlefield, because if all those local people understand the battlefield, understand its value as a heritage resource, then if somebody comes along and wants to build a motorway through the centre of it or something like that, then all those people are more likely to be writing to their local councillor or writing to their MP and complaining about it. So yeah. just getting people to value their, their local heritage is a good way of protecting it. They are the engaged, the troops on the, the ground, really, aren't they, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. The the website itself has just been revamped as well, which which looks excellent, you know. So it, it, it segregates all of the battlefields in England and Wales into period, particular conflict, map with um, all of the battlefields themselves pegged out on the map. Um, so very, very easy to use, um, easy to narrow down to, to sort of personal interests. 
Yes, yeah, I mean, yes, we, uh, I mean, the original door center, as it was called, was done in 2004. And, you know, we, we kind of refreshed it last year and it was looking a little bit like it was, you know, built in 2004. Um, so we, you know, we, we branded it in the same way as the, the main trust website and we've added interactive mapping now and the, the search functionality is a lot better. And, you know, we, we've generally improved it and updated it. And descriptions as well. So it's not just about showing people where, um, these battles and conflicts took place but it's actually there's there's a lot of detailed um descriptions which is cropped up on tv lately as well hasn't it on the it's pointless cropped up on pointless the uh the the two competitors have to name a, a civil war battlefield the pointless team would use the battle Trust website to work out you know what what, what were the battles yeah but they didn't get any any of the right answers but that's not a reflection on the website though <laughs> that's what they need to do so. excellent and, and, the, and the website itself i think it's an ongoing piece of work isn't it to have as many sort of battle descriptions as possible on the website yeah uh, so we've been you know we've we started off trying to just record uh, registered battlefields in england of which there, there are 47 and then glenn ford who did the original work he did some work for historic environment scotland on scottish battlefields you know short summaries were, were added for scottish battlefields through on the on the back of that work as well but we've been adding sort of smaller sort of uh, battlefields sort of since then mainly many civil war ones i have to say i guess because the details just not that available for for earlier battles we've added ripple and middleton cheney and gainsborough and, and battlefields like that yeah. which aren't registered uh, but you know, are, are obviously have local uh, significance and, and 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 are quite important within the in the course of the civil war as well. And what next? So so we talked there about the British Civil War um, project, but do you think this could have the potential to develop into different eras? Um, well, I mean, I guess the obvious opportunity might be to extend it to um, the Wars of the Roses. I mean, I think it would need to be a separate database because this is very specifically about the British Civil Wars. But, you know, we have a structure now. We have a, a database structure, if you like, as well, where all you need to do is change the change the name. And, you know, we can we could, we could just roll that out as well. Although, again, I think it'd be important to do some initial work first to gather yeah. a critical mass um, so that, um, you know, people have something to look at before it goes live and then encourage people to to contribute in that in that crowd crowdsource approach to you know building the database there's no issue with multiple submissions because people might have extra information that they've seen uh which someone else hasn't so you you'll collate that won't you yes we will and you know if, if we if we're not just limited to one photograph we can have a sort of range of yeah. photographs of the, of the monument as well and and if people want to be sort of credited with you know, I took the photograph or whatever. We've got the facility to to add that detail as well. So, so yeah, you can get a really nice sunset at Master Moor or something, you know. And thunder and lightning could be going on, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a quick fire round, then, Simon. So, what do you think is the most overlooked Civil War battle, skirmish, or siege? I, I mean, I'd, I'd I'd go for Stowe as as the battle, uh, okay. but, but partly because I've spent the last seven years trying to find it. And now that I've achieved that, I'm I'm hoping to raise the profile a little bit. But if you if you ask the pointless question, it might might be a pointless answer. I think is still on the wall for for, for for a battlefield. I don't think a lot of people, you know, generally would sort of say, you know, name a civil war battlefield and they they go for Edgehill or Naseby or yeah. 
they wouldn't go for Stone on the Wall. As yeah. far as skirmishes are concerned, you know, there's there's just loads out there. But but I've got a bit of a thing about understanding how army sports in enclosed ground in in amongst hedges. I'm 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 quite interested in in battlefields or skirmish sites as well, where hedge fighting sort of takes place. You know, there's a whole range of different sites where you know you can think about Middlewich in in Cheshire. In 1643, um, Nantwich as well in 1644, Preston in 1648 as they're coming down from uh, Longridge mm. uh, down to Preston itself, the, the fighting through the hedgerows there. And then Tywood Reef, um, which is part of the Lost Withfield battlefield in, in, in Cornwall. But yeah. there's, you know, a lot of hedge fighting that's that's happening across that ground as well. So I'm, I'm quite interested in, uh, in that from a sort of thematic point of view for those reasons and then for sieges i do have a soft spot for latham house which i know was the, was the your last podcast yeah because you know, i'm originally from lancashire and and that was a you know one of the ones that I, I was interested in when i was a lot younger and, and still at school because it's local to me uh, but i also have a, a bit of a soft spot for the siege of gloucester as well quite I, i'm quite interested in the the first newbury sort of campaign sort of generally yeah um, because i i kind of have a view of the Earl of Essex, that he's he's a bit badly maligned. You know, he's not a brilliant general, but you know, he's he, he gets a worse press than he he deserves. I think, in my view. Yeah, I, th- I think he would agree with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and and Newbury as well, first Newbury. I mean, a lot of hedge fighting there, wasn't there? Round Hill. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, and and you know that, it, and then that gets quite interesting because you know how how do you go about doing that? And yeah. I've just I've just written a paper about use of pioneers in the Civil War. First Newbury, John Byron talks about um, you know, the well, he doesn't actually say that they're pioneers, but the implication is that these people appear and they cut a hole in the hedge and get his cavalry through the through the hedge to ha- attack this parliamentarian regiment on the on the other side of the hedge. And you know, he's got to be pioneers that are doing that kind of work because that's that yeah. they're equipped to do that and that's what they're supposed to do. So so that that sort of interplay between the pioneers and the and the and the you know the fighting soldiers is it just seems to me to be quite an interesting sort of topic and if you're fighting in in in, in hedge territory in you know in, in hedgerows you know what do you do with your pikes what you do with your pikes is you have them at the behind the musketeers so that if anybody does break through then the musketeers can then run back to the to the pikes and they can do what they're supposed to do and keep the cavalry off yeah. but just exploring all of that is just quite quite interesting well i find it quite interesting Okay, thanks, Simon. Yes, they're really fascinating choices. They're really good ones. And uh, next one's a greatest Civil War commander. Um, mm, that's a difficult one as well, isn't it? Uh, so yeah. I, I kind of I go with the some are overrated and some are underrated. So I, you know, I've just said the Earl of Essex. I think he's underrated. I think William Waller's is probably overrated. To, yeah, to a good degree. But I, I mean, I, I I quite like the infantry commanders. I like sort of Jacob Astley, William yeah. Jacob Lord Astley. And um, Philip Skippen uh, as well, uh, and you know their their backstory is quite interesting as well because you know they they both fight together in the Dutch army during the Thirty Years' War and and, and involved in the attack on um, to Haydn um, during the yeah. Siege of Breda in uh, 1634, I think it is something like that, and you know they're serving in the same regiment. Uh, well, they're serving serving not in the same regiment, but in the same you know English force probably knew each other from that as well so i i just 
you know, find them both fascinating individuals, you know, both very competent soldiers, um, both respected, I think, by by their opponents as well. So yeah. I, I'd go for the Skippen and Lastly, for, for me, and, and I just wish they'd written more about their experience of the Civil War as well. So they, they haven't, written, they didn't write very much at all. So uh, I just think we're we're missing a huge sort of uh, gap there and uh, you know, of, of information that uh, would have been really really helpful to to modern day historians. And they both have left sort of you know iconic sort of prayers and speeches, haven't they? Really, yeah. the yeah. two of them. Uh, yeah, and, and Essex and Wallace. So that that's a that's a funny one, isn't it? Because even today, there's a lot of division over you know who who is the best commander out of those two. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, I mean Essex and Wallace hated each other anyway. Yeah, uh, and that that you know there's there's a there's a fundamental problem that you know the reason the king escapes from from Oxford in 1644 is because you know they're just not cooperating as as military commanders. And and interestingly, I think Manchester's army was in, initially uh, you know chosen to cooperate with Essex which might have been a better choice but yeah. you know he, he went off to the siege of York and to support the Scots and the Northern, Northern Association army so yeah. you know the, the committee for both kingdoms didn't really have a lot of choice and they had to put Waller and, and Essex together which was never going to be uh, a marriage made in heaven, I don't think. So. No, no, that's it. Uh, probably it's Essex, the, the way that Essex sort of so publicly made his dissatisfaction clear, I think that tends to work against him, doesn't it? That overshadows probably some of his victories as well, you know. And Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, I mean, Essex, Essex, I think he's unpopular with the radicals within Parliament anyway. I mean, he does the siege of Reading in, in April 1643. But then his army gets um, gets diseased uh, with typhus, uh, yeah. and he doesn't really do anything over the summer. Whereas Waller Waller is, you know, coming across as a more active commander, and and you know, there's a, there's a view that actually they'd be better putting their money into Waller and also the Eastern Association army under Manchester as well. So to some yeah. extent, Essex's army starved the resources in the summer of 1643, and and it's not until you know, Gloucester's under threat and John Pym's done a bit of work behind the scenes to to convince everybody that Essex is the right man to lead the, the relief to Gloucester, uh, that he starts supplying his army again. So, yeah. yes, I think Essex, Essex is a good defensive general, you know, give him a battle and he knows how to defend a position and, and you know, win that way. He's not going to be, you know, an, an offensive base, basis. You know, so it, it's horses for courses, I guess. Yeah, and, and yeah. the thing with Waller though is he's, he's he's overconfident. You know, a lot of the time, and he and he reflects on that in his memoirs. You know, you can point to Ripple. At Ripple, he's overconfident, and he gets a bit of a hiding from Prince Maurice. But you know, uh, Randway Down, he'll be over overconfident there. And at Cropperty as well. You know, he's he's aggressive, um, but he's not necessarily thinking it through and you know what 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 might happen and okay and um and, and in terms of civil war battlefields which one or, or which ones i suppose would you think are most at risk well the one that we've seen most harm to uh from the battle just perspective is winnick uh, which is sort of near warrington uh it's a 1648 yeah. battlefield so the the scots are really defeated at, at preston and then sort of escape sort of southwards and they make a stand at Winnick. And uh, the northern 15% of the battlefield or so 
it's recently been agreed that uh, some warehousing can be built over the top right. of it. So you know, it, it is a quite a large a large area of the battlefield that's been lost. But but hopefully, you know, the rest of it will be will be better protected now. And it's split between two local authorities. So it's the St Helens part, which was sort of agreeing to the to the development, and the Warrington part. Um, you know, it's 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 the bit that's 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 more preserved. So we're hoping that you know nothing more will be will be done to uh, win it battlefield because that's always the risk. You know, if you have lots of little developments on you know fifteen percent, not little, but lots of little developments, then you're just fighting away at the at the battlefield, yeah. and eventually you'll be left with with potentially nothing. So, um, and okay. you know, we, and we've lost Civil War battlefields to development. You know, places like Newark. Uh, 16.4 yeah. has got Preston. There's, there's nothing, nothing really left at Preston. Maidstone, mm. 16.8. You know, so there's, there's there's a whole list of battlefields which are, are you know, Newbury too. Yeah, it's it's largely large parts of it have been built over to to the extent that Historic England won't register it because you know it, it's not interpretable as a battlefield anymore. They they say, and you know, you, you could make an argument for Newbury too being one of the most important. Battlefields of the Civil War, because out of it comes the self-denying ordinance and the, you know, the creation of the new model army. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a problem. I mean, I do I do a walk at Turnham Green, and you know there are a few great green spaces there, but you've got to have a really good imagination to uh, to open up the battlefield because there's so many houses there now. It's, it's, it's problematic. Thanks very much, Simon. That that's brilliant uh, to hear about the British Civil War Memorial Project. Brilliant, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great to, to talk Civil War. Super. So if you have visited a Civil War memorial, whether you've got a photograph or not, be part of the project and log it at battlefieldstrust.com. That's Battlefields with an S. As we heard there from Simon, there's plenty of interesting battle resources on the site as well. Now, I'm going to join Warwick Luth, battlefield and conflict archaeologist to talk about a few of the monuments logged so far. So welcome back Warwick, um, that could be a new tagline. Um, Fantastic. So you've been part of the meetings of the memorial project haven't you? I have indeed, so, yeah I'm, I'm helping to catalogue the, 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 the memorials up in Scotland, lots and lots of, of memorials logged around Stirling, Glasgow and the, and the Central Belt as as the summer goes on, hopefully spending out further down to the borders and up into northern Scotland as well. It's such a great idea, isn't it? It is. I mean, just you know, going off subject at the moment, um, my day job is 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 working at the Battle of Bannockburn Centre. And at, at Bannockburn, we are very, very lucky in that we have a battlefield centre, we've got a memorial there, we've got state-of-the-art technology there. Um, in terms of a battlefield, we are very, very lucky. Um, you know, there is only a handful of battlefields throughout the UK that have such resources, you know, Hastings and Culloden, and, you know, we could probably count the National Civil War Centre in there as well, Bosworth. But for 99.9% .9 of battlefields, it is an empty field. There might be a battle memorial there. There might be some interpretation there. Um, that's all they have. And so yeah. to catalogue those memorials um, so that people and start to give them the recognition they would deserve is important because remember a memorial okay is not 
set in stone like a battlefield. Battlefield happens, you know, in a day. It's a very, very short space of time. But looking at the, the wider context of that battlefield, it is how it is remembered by um, future generations on from that battle, how it is commemorated, that is just as important as well to understanding yeah. the nature of that battlefield uh, preservation as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there about cataloging um, in Scotland. So what monuments do you do you see in Scotland? I mean, there's a lot that the Montreal Society have put up for a start just recently, isn't there? There is indeed. So in terms of the Montreal Society, they are the hub in terms of, of, of battlefields. Um, you know, fought between, you know, 1644 and, and 48 for, for Montrose's campaigns. Mm. And a good, there must be a good 70% of these battles um, have a, a mark stone or memorial interpretation panel on them. That's fantastic. As well as the Marcus of Montrose Society, we have the, the Dunbar 1651 Society, um, headed up uh, by my colleague at the Scottish Battlefields Trust, uh, Dr. Alan Johnson. Um, and he's put down a battlefield trail and memorial stones all around Dunbar Battlefield, up Dune Hill as well. Um, so you can follow um, the roots of Cromwell's 1650 campaign there as well. Apart from that, um, you know, memorials are, are you know that are few and far between. Um, there's there's memorials for individuals um, set up by families all the way mm. across Scotland. We even have, you know, memorials for, for battles that could have been, you know, but were never fought. So, for example, on the border, um, Dunsor, for no one that knows it, um, is, a, is a fortification that's built by um, by Charles I um, and his army during the First Bishop's War. There could have been an assault on it. There could have been a battle fought before it, but it never happened. It was used as a, as a staging post um, for uh, the King's army um, before, you know, both sides, you know, came to a, a you know relatively you know, short-lived settlement. Um, so there's there's memorials like that as well. Now, as well as that, um, as I said, family graves as well. Um, you go into Edinburgh, you have graves uh, to the likes of Marcus of Montrose and um, Argyle. Well. <laughs> opposite, <laughs> opposite, opposite sides of Saint Charles <laughs> Cathedral. Interestingly, you know, Montrose gets 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 all the attention. Um, <laughs> Argyle, okay, you know, you know, is relatively forgotten. Um, you've got in the corner of the of, of that that cathedral as well um, the memorial to the, the Cutty Stuck, which is is thrown, you know, by by Geds um, when the King Charles Bible is introduced in in 1638 as well. Uh, and as well as that, is she a real person? Warwick, because there there's been debates, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is debate about it. Um, I, I think that the High Kirk, you know, does establish, you know, that they think she is probably a, a real person. And if she isn't a real person, then they are at least, you know, acknowledging the writing that goes in before that Bible, yeah, um, you know, is, is imposed. That's important as well. Otherwise, again, it would be, yeah. it would be lost to the history books. De definitely, um, a lot of stools got flung, regardless of whether they it was Jenny. Need, they didn't need. <laughs> um, you know, I've always wanted to stand up in the um, the pulpit with two pistols, you know, facing down <laughs> at the uh, down yeah. the congregation. You know, that you know that'd be the, the highlight of my life if we could do that. But you know, some you know, people would have a dim view on that. So yes, yeah. um, that that gets commemorated um, as well as that. I mean. You know, linking into some of the other work that I'm doing, you know, with the Covenanters, there are 
martyrs' memorials that have been established by the Covenant and Memorial Association all around Scotland in the 1640s, 1650s. And indeed, if you go into Greyfriars Kirkyard as well, you've got graves there for the King's Commissioners in Scotland. So there, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of memorials um, that are yet to be recorded. Um, you know, and, and when I'm going to these these uh, to catalogue these memorials, you know, you go in, you know, with one objective and come out, you know, having recorded five others that you didn't know about as well. And that's yeah. fantastic. And I think that's a great thing, you know, thinking about unusual monuments. So I had a look on the Battlefield Trust website the other night just to see what was on there so far. And there, there was a, a couple of um, Kraken ones that I, I had no idea about. So one of them is um, at Daventry, uh, Northamptonshire. So in 1713, this was put up. There's no inscription, but there's a board that says that the Dryden family had erected a statue in memory of an unnamed shepherd boy who had raised the alarm when the house was attacked by a lot of Royalist soldiers. Um, nice. and, and a shepherd boy, you know, that's really nice, isn't it? You know, it, to have these memorials, not just to battles or commanders. Like any other conflicts, you know, the, the history is, is written by, you know, the, the hoi polloi, the, the guys at the top. And quite often, you know, before, you know, really the 18th, 19th century, okay, those who are either serving in the armies of lower ranks, the common, you know, people that are, are caught up in the war, they get com- forgotten entirely. So if these memorials to... Yeah. The other names, members of history, okay, can be highlighted. You know, that is only a good thing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. There's another one was um, the Sabbath Day Fight at Plymouth, put up in 1891. That states that on that spot in 1643, December the 3rd, after hard fighting for several hours, the Roundhead Garrison of Plymouth made their final rally and routed the Cavalier Army, which had surprised the outworks and well nigh taken the town. And it says that for many years, it was the custom to celebrate the anniversary known as the Sabbath day fight. It was recorded as the great deliverance. They had a right old uh, knees up to celebrate that, apparently. I think that's fantastic. The other thing I I think, you know, needs to be highlighted about the memorials project is if you look at, you know, something like um, historic England's battlefields register, the criteria to put battlefields into that register is very very narrow it's got to meet certain things and and obviously there's battles happening in every village and every town okay that are not an edge hill or a naseby or a mast and more yeah that go completely nothing forgotten so by cataloging every single one of these memorials and there will be you know um you know small skirmishes and you know sieges of, of forgotten defended manor houses in there that you know don't mm. appear in history books Again, you know, that raises the profile of, of local history, okay, with the conflicts as well. Yeah, and I mean, seeing a more than sort of episode 19 with Coles Hill, Coles Hill Manor, you know, and, the, and those uh, bullet holes that were found in the uh, gatehouse, you know, they're, they're again, you know, as you say, these skirmishes could be happening all over, but they are relatively forgotten, you know, they're just swallowed up really, aren't they, by history. Exactly. Here's a random question then. Um, Warwick. So I asked Simon about Sir William Waller and the Earl of Essex. Who was the best commander? What do you, what do you think? Are you a Wallerist or an Essex man? So I know a lot of Essex men. I don't know so many Waller men. Um, I do like Waller. I do like Waller. 
I think Essex shoots himself in, in, in the foot kind of winter of 1643-44, thinking he's, I think there's, there's a bit of clash of personality here because Essex, you know, sees what Waller has done in the West Country. Okay, he's lost his army at, at Roundway Down. Yeah. And there's always been this perception that the reason that Waller takes so long to get back into the field, winter of 1643, early 44, is that Essex is, is trying, basically, you know, depriving him of the supplies, depriving him of the means to raise a, a proper artillery train uh, to properly go on the offensive uh, going forward into 1644. I think Essex is a, is a fantastic soldier, but I think, you know, in terms of flamboyancy, you know, as, as an interesting character, it has to be Waller. I'll get nothing but grief for this as well. I grew up in the area around Basing and, and Alton and, and Cheriton as well. And, and Essex doesn't come into play there. Okay, everywhere mm. it's, it's Waller. So it had, you know, I'm afraid I'm putting my badge on my chest here. <laughs> <laughs> wallet, wallet, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I would tend to agree, to be honest, because um, on the one hand, you can quote Waller's double defeat, you know, within weeks of each other at Roundweir Down. And lands down. But then Essex, for all he had victories as well as Waller, it's the fact that he frequently let his sort of pride get in the way of actually winning the war. Absolutely. I mean, he's got another agenda always going on. And I think, yeah. you know, as as attrition goes on and we get on at 1645, where, you know, the London Associations and the West and the, the Western Association because of attrition, okay, having to combine, you know, at places like Newbury, you know, it is that personal animosity that is is meaning that that once again the king's army is able to get away as well. They can't, you know, present a, a combined front to really, you know, put the back foot on the king. Um, so certainly, you no, know, yeah. it's it's not a not a force for good either. I I just, I just can't believe Essex for one, you know, so. When he did break away, they were trailing the king in 1644, and he just decided to give up the ghost and just march off into the southwest and leave Waller to, to do the job. Um, it's the fact that he's he's down in the southwest trying to relieve Lyme, I think, um, yes. Lyme Regis. And there's a tie at Master Moore, obviously, gets fought, Rupert's defeated. Now, now, news of Master Moore was as contradictory as ever. Uh, you've got celebratory bonfires being lit in Oxford um, upon these early favourable reports of a royalist victory. And in the West Country, there's Parliament's Lord General, the Earl of Essex. He hears about this royalist glee and robustly counters this, what he calls, impudence. And to the King's garrison of Exeter, he sends his word of honour that the royalists had being trounced, and he backs this up by offering to surrender Wearmouth and Malcolm Regis if he was proved wrong. So as part of that wager of war, Essex is suggesting that Exeter renders themselves up if he was vindicated in saying that the Royalists had been defeated. But obviously nothing is going to induce Exeter to do anything like this because the Queen is within that town. I mean, for a captain general, okay, you know, the, the main, who's supposed to be the main, you know, command of parliamentarian forces, that's so dodgy. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think one of them was more radical than the other? I don't think either of them is really radical enough, to be honest. Right. Um, because they both I ended up becoming moderates, didn't they, in the end? They know? certainly did. They certainly did. Um 
ultimately, I, I, I don't think either of them is is radical enough, and and that is why you know that plays into that personal animosity as well. There's no drive, okay, to 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 bring the, the broadest army to a reckoning, and and you know Essex nor Waller really does that. So, and I, I think as well, you know, Waller, you know, is given you know the the, the option of of possibly commanding. Parliament's new modelled army in, in you know mid sixteen forty five. He turns it down because he he knows he's not radical enough. So no, I, I, I think Essex doesn't know that he's not radical enough. I think Waller probably does. So we're talking about battlefields as well. So just again a, a very general question: Did you hear about the Golden King, that small golden figure that was found near the Battle of Nearsby? couple of years I back. I did. I did. Everyone asks me about this. And, and <laughs> I, I think you're, the, 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 I can guess what the next question is, is, is it genuine or not? In terms of genuineness, it's sort of, do you think it's from the crown, isn't it? That's the question yeah. of the day. Was it actually I mean, from the crown jewels? Yeah. or? I, I'm an archaeologist and, and I, I become very, very wary, okay, whenever anyone says we have found exactly this. Um, yeah. I, I'm not convinced. Um, it is it is high quality metal. Okay, it has come from something fantastic, but to directly say it has definitely come from that, I, I take a very theoretical view of it. Um, I think it's it's a bit too circumspect to definitely say that's that's oh. a pretty old piece that's come off that crown. But there we go. British Museum is saying that there are very similar pilgrim badges of of base metal, but on the other hand, to that, this is unprecedented you know there's no other golden figure like this and it's very very well done you know enameled definitely poses a question as to what is it then and what was it doing there um, exactly i mean you know if if it does have something to do with that baggage drain you know being pilfered you know at naseby then you know that that is a good thing because it it's, gives us you know another anchor to pivot um, historical interpretation on what's going on on that battlefield, you know, so that's that's a good thing. Okay, I, yeah. I, I don't deny that. I'm I'm just very very wary, you know, as, as you should be of, of, of pinning down directly, you know. We might never but know yeah, at the end of the day. Might we might have. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. You might never know. I mean, I don't think it does any harm, you know, to 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 theoretically uh, attach, you know, to that item and say it could have come from this, it could have come from that. Um, yeah. The other thing as well is. Um, historic royal palaces make a replica Tudor crown and put a figure on it I... that looks remarkably similar to that, that. before it was found before it was found I... so. <laughs> uh, and if, if you haven't listened um, that is episode 14 when we talked to Leander Delisle um, about the finding of the Golden King near Nearsby uh, Kevin Duckett the metal detectorist so I think he's currently still waiting to hear from the British Museum about it. Mm-hmm. But he said that his experience started with a once-in-a-lifetime find after 30 years of metal detecting. Well, if, if nothing it's else, Kevin, hard. okay, well, good on you. Good on you. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's it, exactly. He's found something of, of real historical value yeah. and interest there, hasn't he? No matter what it turns exactly. out to be. It's like um, the old one, Basing. After, after the siege of Basing, there was a myth that someone that somewhere hidden on the grounds um, were two cast golden calves. The Marquess worried when Parliament stormed his house, worried that that that, that the attackers okay would would loot all of all of his jewels and all of his treasures. So he had them melted all down. Okay, 
using these two um, casts for, for garden ornaments and then hid them somewhere on the estates. And, you know, since since the house fell, you know, there's been people, you know, going onto the onto uh, <laughs> Marcus's estate, you know, going, where's his treasure gone? Where's his treasure gone? But the fact is, you know, he's got a, a house up the way, you know, um, at Bolton, you know, that's lovely and fantastic. And he keeps on, you know, building, you know, fantastic houses and, and gardens and that kind of thing, you know, so... So we've we've done quite a quite a roundabout tour there, haven't we? We started off with monuments, and <laughs> then we've moved on to water and Essex, and then it's the, the best kind of conversation. Yeah, so this is quite a, a varied uh, episode. Uh, the the monuments, though. I mean, are there any abroad? Um, because you know we're not um, limited, are we, to Great Britain? No. Um, so that I think there's some in in Dunkirk, because obviously the Battle of the Dunes, where large parts of the royalist army or at least reformado officers that get exiled after the end of the civil war they end up in in the french and spanish armies um and parliament does send over an army to help the french at dunkirk fight this battle um on the seafront as well against the um against the, uh, the duke of york um so yeah there'll be back there'll be memorials there there'll be memorials in the new worlds um to regicide yeah. people have been exiled um, people have been sold into indentured servitudes. Certainly, there'll be things um, over in Jamaica as well for you know Cromwell's you know invasion and capture of that as well. So there will be other memorials elsewhere as well. I'm pretty sure there's tons in 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 the Low Countries again from uh, royalist exiles yeah. as well. There will be thousands and thousands of them out there. You know, if anyone wants to check out the. Battlefield Trust, the British Civil War Memorial website. Have a look around, see what's uh, been submitted so far. That's Battlefields Trust, Battlefields with an S, trust.com. And under Battlefield Resources, you can see a header of BCW Memorials. And that allows you to submit and to view. It's good to keep in, keep in touch and checking in every now and again, isn't it? And see what's going on there. Yeah. I, I've just got to try and fish out all of my photographs now. Find out the memory same, cards. And... Same, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm kicking myself because the amount of dyed laptops and phones that have, <laughs> but, you know, tons of pictures on them. And, you know, I could do them right now, but no, it, it gives me an excuse to visit the sites again. And that's never that's a bad it. thing. Thank you. That's another really, really enjoyable uh, chat there just to finish off the, the Memorial Project episode. So thanks again, Warwick. All the best, Mark. Pleasure. If you enjoy this independent podcast, please show your support by rating it on your podcast platform. As a taster of what is to come, our next episode will examine the life of John Hampden, a parliamentarian, military and political leader who was killed at the Battle of Chalgrove 380 years ago this year. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Cavalier Cast. Cavalier Cast.